The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a series called Broken Body in 1 Corinthians, in case you're new here. Uh, I want to tell you this morning, we are talking because the text talks. We mentioned this on social media this week, parents, about sin as it relates to physical intimacy. Next week, Tim Cartwright will be teaching us about intimacy in marriage, and we are going to endeavor to make this as PG as possible, but want to make you aware of what we're talking about. So you can be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a couple of things to mention to you, we have got um, October 31st, 3.35 p.m. We've got a drive-through Fall Fest. You saw in the video announcements, great opportunity for your family to come through and enjoy that day in a safe way. Also, next Sunday, our plan is to begin having children's uh, services or children's ministry open at 9 and 11 if we have volunteers for that. We have, I think, plenty of volunteers for 9. We need some at 11. Um, if you can come and be part of that, we would be grateful. At 1230, we have a training that will go over safety protocols for next week. That's 1230 right after service today. And then our Global Outreach Pastor Brandon, his team have put together TBC Go at Home. What if I told you that November 2nd through 6th, you could go on a mission trip with me and we don't have to get on a plane and fly over the ocean. Um, we don't have to get any shots. We don't have to eat weird food. But literally through the week for 45 minutes total of videos, you and your family could get to know some TBC goers doing amazing work in South Lebanon, planting churches there in homes, seeing what the Lord's doing. That's a great opportunity if you want to taste emissions in the midst of this pandemic. I hope that you'll take that. Well, today... We're in 1 Corinthians 6, and you might hear that we're talking about the sin uh, of immorality and think, hey, I've heard this sermon before. But you might not have. This might be like a movie I watched one time. I bet a, a lot of you have seen it too. Family moves into a new neighborhood, and as soon as they come into the neighborhood, kind of that eerie music starts playing in the background. They're attacked. The mom is brutally murdered and a child is kidnapped. The father is traumatized, but he knows he's got to go get his son. And he spends all he has and travels a long, long way to find his son, rescue him. He's got a kind of a ragtag team helping him. You know the tragedy, but you know the hope of this father. It pushes him to find his son. They found each other and they lived, as movies go, happily ever after. You know the movie, it's Finding Nemo. <laughs> See, most of us have seen the movie, that might be a little different than you've heard it told before. Perhaps it isn't the story we always thought it was, and so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, as we hear about sin and intimacy and ultimately redemption that is in Jesus Christ, because that's where we're aiming for, not condemnation, but redemption, forgiveness, help, and healing. Hopefully we'll hear it in a way that maybe we've never heard it before. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 
12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? As it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Lord, we thank you for this great and beautiful reality that we were bought. Not by perishable things like silver or gold, the scripture tells us, but by the precious blood of a lamb and we have been born again into a new and living way through Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to turn from our broken stories to this new story of new creation that you're writing in the world through the church and help us to glorify Jesus with our bodies. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Well, today, as we talk about broken stories in 1 Corinthians 6, I want to do so kind of by talking about broken appetites, broken understanding, broken union, and then ultimately broken stories. See, Paul is addressing what's going on in Corinth, and as Dave shared with us last week, verse 9, that he was teaching through, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, do not be deceived, and then he mentions the sexually immoral, and then idolaters, and he goes on to list all of these things wrapped up either in immorality or idolatry or both, and so... Paul is coming just straightforward into the sin that the Corinthians are dealing with. And it's a beautiful thing that they're talking about it in the church because everybody in this room has been impacted in some way by sexual immorality. Everybody in this room has been impacted in some way by it. You might be like me, it was bad, it was taboo, my parents didn't talk about it. The good news for me, though, is I had lots of friends at school that were willing to talk about it, and man, they did, and that's how I learned, and so it was really messed up, and then when I came into the church, I got these mixed messages. I I didn't ever hear that this was a gift from God. As a lost guy, uh, about 15 years old, I was invited to sign a card saying I would never do this until marriage. I remember I went to a summer camp. In the summer camp, what they called it back then is there are no PDAs, no public displays of affection. And I can remember them saying to us at a camp and husbands and wives, we don't even want you holding hands this week. And I look back on that and think that is so messed up. 
I'm sure their intentions were well, but what these people were not teaching us is that this is a gift from God, meant for worship and joy. It's a beautiful expression. God made for his people as male and female imaged God, and we're told to fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth. And so I had this broken picture that this is bad, which just made me want to do it all the more. And I did. I so regret that I did. My wife, on the other hand, it was taboo in her home. I was the first guy that she kissed. So we walk into marriage, her dealing with all of my baggage from my past and then hers from this sort of taboo nature of it. And we as the church need to speak about this because God speaks about it. He spoke about it in the first century, he speaks about it in the 21st century. So in Corinth, a couple of things that were going on that were leading to their particular sort of immorality that they were facing. One is that you have these people who are embracing the philosophy of Stoicism. And Stoicism kind of says that matter doesn't matter, right? The physical world doesn't matter. The spiritual world matters. It can't be very important. So what does God care what I do with my body? And then you have Epicureans who would say, well, the gods really don't care about us. So that means we ought to Seek pleasure and avoid pain. Do what you will with your body. And this was a story in Corinth, but it must have been the story really in a lot of Gentile cultures because what Paul has said in verse nine, flee from idolatry and immorality is really similar when the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, when the Jewish leaders realized Gentiles were coming into the church What they did is they said, if they're gonna come in, we're gonna tell them we don't want a greater burden than they need, but they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Don't be ruled by your appetite for food. So abstain from food that's been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from that which has been strangled, and abstain from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. But the Stoics in Corinth that are coming into the church, they're saying, well, what does God care about what I do with my body. And so in in verses 12 and 13, three times Paul quotes these common sayings of the day. All things are lawful for me. But then he responds, but not all things for helpful. He says it again, all things are lawful for me. But then he says, "I, I won't be enslaved by anything. And then food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Food's for the stomach and the stomach's for food. God gave us food or the gods, they might say in Corinth, gave us food, he gave us stomachs. What's the big deal? But then he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. They had these sayings that they would just treat. They were cultural sayings, but they would treat them like they were gospel, like they matched the word of God. What's the big deal? We have these today. One of theirs that was similar to all things are lawful for me is the wise are permitted to do anything they wish. See, they were hoping in human wisdom like we talked about in chapter one of 1 Corinthians. Well, the wise can do whatever they want. They're wise, right? So I'm wise, I can do whatever I want. One of the things that we say often is before you learn to love others, you gotta love yourself. 
We say that in culture. We sometimes say it in the broader church. And and I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. We are actually all passing the class of loving ourselves with flying colors. We come out of the womb and we are screaming, what about me, right? Give me food, change my diaper. Oh, I'm tired. I've got to go sleep. We wake up, give me food, change my diaper. What about me? We are all getting an A plus in that class passing with flying colors. We all love ourselves. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself because he knows we all love ourselves. Another kind of in the Bible belt, it can just seem so right. Hey, nobody can take my rights away from me. Nobody can take my rights away from me. And we'll almost treat it like gospel when Jesus actually said, if any man would come after me, He's got to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. At the end of Luke 14, he says, unless you renounce all that you have, you can't can't be my disciple. So Paul's pressing on their sayings of the day. All things are lawful for me. Right, but but not everything is, is helpful, right? All things are lawful for me, but I won't be enslaved by anything. And Paul is maybe trying to help them see. They think they've got their sin in a kennel. It's nice and neat that they're in control when actually their sin is caging them. It's putting them as slaves to their own sin. In fact, he's called them kings in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 8, and now he's calling them slaves, whether it's to intimacy or to food, or for us it might be sports, or how many clicks we get, or followers we have, or people who like us, or it could be power, or it could be money, or any other things. It's not just a Gentile problem in the first or 21st century, it was a Jewish problem too. Paul says, I won't be enslaved to anything. Don't be enslaved to sin. See, the Jews were challenging Jesus and he said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the Jews go, we're Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which was absolutely wrong, right? They'd been enslaved in Egypt. They'd been enslaved by the Babylonians. They'd been enslaved by the Persians. They're occupied by the Romans even in this very day. But Jesus doesn't address their historical blunders. Instead, he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son does. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so Paul says, I won't be enslaved by anything. Do you realize you're being enslaved by your broken appetites? And so Paul continues, Paul continues, he says, food is meant for the stomach. He's quoting one of their cultural sayings in the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. And then he says this, he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Jesus gave himself, he died to redeem your body. This crucified king that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1 is going to be the risen king who rose to redeem my body and your body. The Lord is for the body. And this really, really matters as we think about our broken appetites because When we are mid-decision as it relates to sinning, 
physically and morally, we don't stop to think, where, where is this going to land? Where is this going to end up? What's going to come about because of this? We're not thinking about how is this going to impact me in the future? See, we, we talk at TBC about values. We talk about our core values of surrender and of community and mission. And the reason we do is because they impact life. When I think about community, one of the ways that fleshes out in our staff is every week we look over the text that whoever's preaching is going to preach or teach and we talk about it together. And every time I'm up, I I learn from the guys around me this week, very specifically, there are things in my notes because Wednesday I heard things from Danny and Brandon and Shannon and Dave Tate and others. See, the value impacts life. You begin to pursue something. You begin to value something. If you value sex more than Jesus, it will impact your life. And you need to stop and go, is is this the story I want to tell? And mid-decision, you're not going, well, wait, is this going to mess things up and I'm not going to get to walk my daughter down the aisle? In mid-decision, you're not going, am I going to see my kids every other Christmas because of this decision? And often we trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of of pain. And Paul says, I won't be enslaved by anything. The value of rugged individualism in Corinth is leading to sinful relations with temple prostitutes. We've got to be careful what we believe because the Lord is for you. And you are for him. John 1 says that he made all things. He is for you. Colossians 1 says all things were made by him and for him. We are made for him. So here's the truth. Appetites for food and appetites for intimacy are gifts from God. They're good things. They're beautiful things in the proper context. Just don't be enslaved by them. Why Because God has given us appetites for his glory and he has given his son to satisfy us deeply. Intimacy and food ultimately will not satisfy us like Jesus will. He's given us these appetites for his glory. We consume food and we know God has provided. He's so creative. There are so many amazing flavors. This is wonderful. In the context of marriage, we embrace the gift of intimacy, but we know ultimately it's an act of worship and joy, a giving of ourself to one another because Jesus has given himself for us and he satisfies us deeply. See, the reason the story in Corinth is broken is because it's been broken from the beginning. It's been broken from the beginning. We go mid-decision towards sinful intimacy, illicit intimacy, and we, we don't go, hey, this is gonna impact future generations potentially. We're like Eve and Adam in the garden. Surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. God just knows you'll be like him. Surely you won't get kicked out of this garden and your firstborn son will murder his brother. Surely that won't happen. And we trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of pain because we have broken appetites and we're enslaved by them. We don't just need to not have broken appetites. We don't need to have a broken understanding. 
The Corinthians have a broken understanding about the body as they say, matter doesn't matter, I can do what I want. But verse 14, verse 14, Paul says, God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. God raised the Lord and he will raise us up by his power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant truth in the universe. It's the most significant truth in the universe and it impacts your body. What that means, because you're gonna have a resurrection body, the body you have is the body you will have. Now some of you hear that and you go, oh no, right? (laughs) Right, but it will be different. But it's still your body. You know, in the resurrection, everybody's going to be 5'9", 190, have receding hairlines and going gray too early, right? No, our bodies will be made new. They'll be risen up with Christ. They will be as they were intended to be, unfallen, incapable of sin. Disease will be a foreign past tense thing to us. And so right now, because we will have a future bodily resurrection, right now when we obey Christ with our bodies, we express that Jesus is Lord over us in the most visible of ways. When we obey Christ with our bodies, when culture says do this with your body, and we say no, that looks different for me. We're expressing the lordship of Jesus Christ in one of the most visible ways. Our daughter is engaged. Our our daughter Maddie just got engaged. I don't know if uh, some of you may know that, and we are really, really excited about it. Love the young man she's engaged to. And they're gonna be engaged for a few months and they'll get married. And people have, have said to us that are outside the church, well, wait, why are they getting married so young? And so we're talking through, and then a light comes on. And we just go, oh, they're, they're not sleeping together. And people go, what? Like, come on, are you, what? Are you serious? We are serious, Clark, yes. See, when we obey Jesus with our bodies, when we give glory to Jesus with our body, it looks different. It says Jesus is Lord. So Paul says, God raised the Lord. That's where 1 Corinthians is headed, the resurrection of Jesus and our coming resurrection. And he's gonna raise you up too. So we're gonna glorify God with our bodies. See, Paul has been expressing this misunderstanding in verses 12, 13, and 14. This misunderstanding of what Christian freedom means. It doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. It means that we're free to turn from sin and walk in new creation. Well, in verses 15 through 17, he moves to address this doctrine of union with Christ. We're members of his body and how that impacts what we do with our bodies. Paul draws a straight line from the resurrection of Jesus to the resurrection of our bodies because we are members of his body. So we don't want to have broken appetites or broken understandings or broken unions. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know? Paul says it in verse 15. He says this in verse 16. He says it in verse 19. Over and over and over in chapters five and six. Do you not know? Do you not understand? He's not asking a polite question. He's mocking them 
Do you not understand what you're doing? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See, not only is our body meant to be given over in trust and obedience to the Lord, but we're also members of his body. So Paul says, do not be joined with a prostitute. So this kind of begs the question, was Paul talking about sexual immorality just in general or specifically prostitution? And I think the answer is yes. See, in Corinth, the way sexual immorality happened is it happened with prostitutes. Marriage, intimacy in marriage was for procreation, not for pleasure. If you wanted pleasure, you went and sought it somewhere else. You sought it through intimacy with a prostitute. That was the particular sexual sin issue in Corinth, but we have our own particular cultural issues as it relates to sexual sin. Do you not know? He who joins himself to a prostitute Do you not know he who joins himself to the lady two cubicles down? Do you not know she who joins herself to the good-looking guy across the apartment complex? Commentator Catherine Edwards says this particular culture, here's what it would look like. They would have these banquets, these feasts where they would just be gluttonous with food and at the end of the feast, it would be followed by illicit intimacy. Prostitutes would come down into the city and they were being mastered by their appetites. They were embracing unholy unions, oblivious to the sacred space their bodies made up as people united to Christ. So they would say, don't seek pleasure in intimacy of marriage. That's for procreation. Seek pleasure in outside sources, and both are wrong. Intimacy is given that we might be a blessing to our spouse as an act of worship and joy and union that would ultimately mirror love of God for us in Christ. Intimacy in marriage is given that we might not also seek to destroy our life through intimacy outside of marriage, what sort of story is sexual immorality gonna tell? It's not telling a very good one. It just doesn't end up telling a very good one. Do you not know? Paul's pressing on their arrogance. They think their their sin is caged. And he kind of mirrors the language of Isaiah 40 when Isaiah says, have you not heard? Do you not know who God is? Do you not know what you are doing? Or in John 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you Israel's teacher and you don't understand this? Do you not know who you are in Christ? And then he roots this again in the Genesis story. He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Here's why you leave your father and mother and you're joined to your wife. The two become one flesh and that one flesh multiplies and the earth is filled with the image of God. And that's this beautiful, wonderful, amazing plan that God has for the world and he's given to people for their joy and to worship him and we just break that story. We just do, but we don't have to. We don't have to. 
Don't become one flesh with someone you were never intended to be one flesh with. But he who is joined to the Lord, verse 17, becomes one spirit with him. We're told after his resurrection that Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And so when we're united with him, we become one spirit with him. His spirit lives inside of us. And so Paul says, don't you know, stop this. This is not who you are. And then he tells them why. He tells them why they don't need to have a broken story. So verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Run away from this. Flee from this. Leave this as fast as you can. I had my boys with a a friend of one of my kids out at Chalk Ridge Falls the other day, and we're walking toward this really cool spot by the water, and one of the kids is walking, he's in front, and all of a sudden he turns around and starts running away, and his eyes are this big, and I think, I bet there's a snake over there. And sure enough, there was, and he knew what to do. Flee, get away, run, flee sexual immorality. Why? Then Paul makes this crazy statement. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What? What did he say? Every sin you commit is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So if I... If I'm angry and I murder someone, I'm sinning against their body. That's outside my body. If I'm gossiping about someone else, that's outside my body. But if I sin sexually, I'm sinning against my own body. Well, what does that mean? I think there are three things that maybe it alludes to at least. First, literally, this can harm you physically. Sexual sin, promiscuity can harm you physically. It can bring pain and problems to your body. Second, it can lead to anxiety. It can lead to depression. It can lead to sleeplessness. It can lead to paranoia. It can harm your body. It can harm your body. But second, I think Paul is alluding to something that he teaches in Ephesians. And something he's just said, that the two become one flesh. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, which is his body, of course, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So when you sin sexually before you're married, you're harming your own body, the person who will become your spouse. When you sin sexually in the midst of marriage, you're harming your own body, your spouse. Don't sin against your own body. And then, of course, the body of Christ, illicit intimacy impacts others. See, our issue is not that we have too high a view of intimacy, but far too low. We don't understand the sacredness of the act because we don't understand the sacredness of our bodies. 
Dave Tate talked about this in our staff meeting this week, that culture has a double standard. On one hand, intimacy is treated as something not sacred. As long as everyone is of age and in agreement, it's just the most casual thing in the world. You just pick up your Tinder app, swipe right, find the right person, who's next? Just seems like no big deal. And on the other hand, and rightly so, when someone is sinned against, there's this violation of something sacred that we know intuitively. Listen, it's either sacred or it's not. Which is it? It's this beautiful thing in the context of marriage and union with Christ and immoral physical unions do not go together because we are sacred space. See, if you were in Jerusalem in the first century and you and I started walking up to the temple as Gentiles, we would, whether we spoke Aramaic or, or Greek or Latin, there'd be a sign for us, not in Hebrew, a sign for us to keep out. It was sacred space. Then there's court of the Gentiles where Gentiles can go in, but no further. Then there's court of the women where ceremonially clean women could go in. Then for the ceremonially clean men, a, a further inward place. And then the most holy place where priests could go only certain times of the year, certain priests who are ceremonial clean as we were talking about this and this fact that the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6 do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God do you not know that your body is a temple it's sacred space it's like Moses is walking along and God's going to speak to him and he looks to the side and he sees this burning bush and he says what's this and The Lord says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Your body, my body, our bodies, if we're in Christ, this is sacred space. It's holy ground. It's for the Lord. And there is a sort of intimacy he smiles on and blesses that is beautiful and wonderful. And then there are sorts he does not intimacy in marriage where each spouse is seeking to freely give themselves completely to their husband or wife in joy that's holy ground joining someone uh, joining to someone who's not your spouse that's not your temple of the holy spirit that's where god's presence is it belongs to the lord it's sacred space you do not belong to you for you were bought with a price So glorify God in your body. Jesus died so that you would glorify God in your body. That's what you and I will do for all eternity in resurrection bodies. We will glorify God. So Paul walks us through in this passage, the purpose of our bodies, they're for the Lord, the coming resurrection of our body because of the resurrection of Jesus, the interaction of our bodies with others in Christ, the residence in our bodies of the Holy Spirit of God. And then he closes by speaking of the redemption of our bodies by Christ. You were bought with a price. Like God told the Israelites in the Old Testament book of Hosea, he tells this guy, Hosea, go out and marry a, a prostitute, an unfaithful bride. What? And he says, Oh, by the way, that's what Israel's like. You're unfaithful to me. And so Gomer, Hosea's wife, is being sold into slavery as a prostitute, and he goes and buys her back. That's what Jesus did for us. He bought us out of our deadness to sin, our slavery and sin. 
He purchased us with scars so that we might joyfully glorify God. See, we can hear a passage like this and and we can look with condemnation on those who struggled, but this is a message of redemption. Paul assumes these are believers. His last words are not condemnation. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. It's like this, this lady in John 8, she's caught in the act of adultery. The Jewish leaders plan to catch her. They're trying to trap Jesus. She's just a pawn. Her life's tragic. She's a pawn in their game. And they bring her and they say, the law of Moses says we ought to stone her to death. What do you think? And Jesus says, let the one among you who's without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And he writes some things on the ground and they hear it and they one by one walk away beginning with the oldest. And Jesus says, where are they? Where did your accusers go? And they're gone, Lord. They're, they're, there's none left. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Or like the prostitute in Luke chapter seven, Jesus is dining at the home of a Pharisee and this lady comes in and she begins weeping at his feet. Her tears are hitting his feet. She's washing his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet and she's cleaning them and then she takes this jar of this special oil that would have cost about what she made in a year. And she breaks it open and the aroma, this glory fills the room. And the Pharisee goes, well, if he were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is, that she's a sinner, literally an immoral woman. It's the evening time where she would go out to begin her trade, but instead she's come here, she's been changed by the love of God. And so Jesus he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. A servant would come and wash his feet. You didn't send a servant to wash my feet. She's saying, I'm going to serve this person. She's being changed because she understands the love of God. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You didn't welcome me. That's how he would have been welcomed in this home. A kiss on one cheek, a kiss on the other. You didn't welcome me, but she's kissing my feet to say I'm welcome where she is and then You didn't anoint my head with oil, with a blessing, but she's anointing me with this precious perfume. She loves much because her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Church, if you are in Christ, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Whatever broken appetite might have led to those sins, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Listen, as as we talk about illicit intimacy, in some way, everybody in this room has been impacted. Some of you right now are dabbling in sexual sin and you need to stop. Others of you have in the past and you've never got help or healing or redemption or forgiveness or hope in Jesus and you need that. And normally on a day like today, we would have a time of response, but with restrictions in place, it's going to look a little different today. 
Some of you have experienced trauma because of the sins of others, things that people have done to you. You're scared to talk about it. You've never talked about it. And you need to reach out to someone and talk about it. So there are a couple of things I want to tell you that you can do. And I do think the first is the best one. But I want to tell you about the second one as well. If you've got a friend that you know is a believer, maybe it's a small group leader in our church, that small group leader's spouse, maybe it's a staff member, an elder, or his wife, a deacon, or his wife, a friend that you know is a believer. You need to, you need to share, you need to talk with someone to get the hope and the help and the healing that's available. But you may be hearing this, and you may not have anybody to talk to. And so if you don't, I want to tell you about another option. And that option is this, Jesus Redeems TBC at tbcweb.org. That's an email address that we have set up. It's going to be very private. Very few people have access to it. And here's what this is for. If you don't have someone to talk to, you're struggling with sexual sin, you have struggled with sexual sin, there are things you're dealing with from your past that you don't know how to deal with, or you've been harmed by someone, and you want to talk about that. All we need you to do is email your name, your gender, your phone number, and just a brief sentence of here's what I'm struggling with and I need help. We'll have men reach out to men, ladies reach out to ladies. There's hope for you in Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price and we wanna help you get on a path to glorifying God in your body. Lord, we thank you, God, that that our broken appetites are not the end of us because of Jesus, that our broken understandings are not the end of us because of Jesus, our broken unions are not the end of us because of Jesus, and all of our broken stories are not the end of us because of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is risen and he will raise our bodies and he bought us with his blood. So God, for people who are hurting today, for people who are struggling in sin today, for people who are bathing in a pool of regret today. God, may we know the freedom that comes from understanding how we've been bought with a price. And may we as your people glorify God with our bodies. Lord, thank you that you have made a way for us to do that through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.